So James, I really enjoyed our, our conversation with Caleb today. I mean, he's sort of taking, you know, he's, I thought it was novel, the whole idea of Payfact as a service um, when he first introduced it. But yeah. what he's doing with it now is, you know, yeah. really transformative, don't you think? Yeah, I would say he's done a fantastic job of, and I mean, keep in mind, he really was like getting serious about tilled like in 2019. I mean, this is right. only like three years in the making. And so he has done a fantastic job of scaling it quickly by, I think, finding a wave and mm-hmm. then not only riding the wave, but making the wave even bigger and more mm-hmm. powerful. And yeah. so that's what I think with this AV, uh, uh, you know, partnership is going to do is going to take the wave he's already riding, which is companies with software need to integrate payments. Right. And he's saying, okay, and you can now go omni-channel. So I think that's going to be, and, and I think this shift, whether you work with Tilde or not, this is a really important shift to understand for the future of the industry. Yeah. Um, and the and questions, you know, you, have, go ahead, I'm you, sorry. You did an awesome um, ebook on that recently. Yeah. Well, actually I did it with, uh, with Tilt. Uh, I know. It was a, it was a oh, merchant yeah. sales insight that they sponsored. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked merchant about that. Merchant sales insight on that. I, personally, I sent it out to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think uh, if you want to look at that one, just go to ccsales.com slash insights and check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, questions in the field. I did something a little different than I usually do. I actually, we're going to, we're going to cut to a video I did uh, a couple of weeks ago with an agent that had questions about the branding. Do you use your own personal brand or do mm-hmm. you use the brand of the big ISO company that you're working with? You know, what do you use on your business cards? What do you communicate? And so I talked about that and we don't have a clear answer. I just say there's different scenarios. And so mm-hmm. we talk about those different scenarios and when it makes sense. And then uh, uh, the insider's report was a follow-up. So tell us well, about a follow-up to the MCC code for um, gun shops and, uh, you know, sort of some of the blowback we're seeing from that. So uh, I think we have a great episode, James. Um, and of course, as, as in the past, this episode is brought to you by NMI. You can go to see them at nmi.com. Awesome. Let's go. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with my good friend, Caleb Avery, who is the founder and CEO at Tilt. How are you doing today, Caleb? I'm doing fantastic. Really appreciate you having me back on the show today. Oh, Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so we, we wanted to talk about this strategic partnership that you've created with AV. Um, spelled A-E-V-I for those who don't know. And we're talking about bringing uh, physical hardware, you know, terminal card present solutions to the ISV world, which has largely been kind of card present and locked in there. And so talking about that. And so you've been on the podcast before. We've heard your backstory a little bit. Tell us about Tilled, like how's Tilled doing today? And then give us the kind of the high level of this partnership with AV and why you've decided to explore this option. Sure. Thanks for having me back. So Kayla Avery, founder and CEO here at Tilled. Our platform we call Payfac as a service. And our mission is to empower ISVs and vertical software companies to monetize the payments that are flowing through their platform. And so a lot of these companies are coming to us where previously they've just been passing along the 2.9% and 30 cents from someone like Stripe or Braintree onto their customers. And for a lot of them, they started with card not present payments. That's the easiest place for a vertical software company to start. And what's so important about this partnership with AV is that it's really turning Tilled into an omni-channel solution for these vertical software companies so that they're not only providing the online card not present solution for their merchants, but they're actually creating a fully unified omni-channel experience for their customers. And so we're unbelievably excited about what this partnership with AV is going to do for, for Tilled and our solution that we're providing to our ISVs and their downstream merchants. I love it. So obviously we have a lot of questions about this particular partnership and this, you know, before we dive into that though, I really want to talk about the overall trend. So 
you know, I think you and I are very much on the same page that, you know, the direction of the industry is towards verticalized software, integrated payments, you know, um, the, the, the ISP relationship. But I'm just kind of curious, somebody that's on the front lines of this, what are you seeing? How is this trend accelerating? What's the market looking like? Give us a little bit of context of just kind of integrated payments and verticalized software in general. Where is that headed? Where is it at and where is it heading? Sure. So I think um, high level, the, the trend is absolutely, you know, accelerating. I think if you set up from a, a global, you know, macro perspective, if you think about about seven and a half trillion dollars in, in card payments flowing through the ecosystem today, about 15% of those payments are going through software led payments, so a little over a trillion dollars, whereas the traditional, you know, agent ISO uh, ecosystem is still over 60% of the, the payments volume. And so about 4X, so about four and a half trillion dollars of volume through that traditional channel. But the the real macro trend here is when you look at the growth rates between those two segments of the business, software-led payments is growing more than four times faster than the traditional payments ecosystem. And so certainly my perspective and what I'm feeling from my vantage point is that software is going to eat the world. That That's the kind of general theme that we're seeing where it's growing so quickly that if you look at a time horizon over the next, let's call it five to 10 years, I really believe that software-led payments is going to be the dominant way that small business owners get access to credit card processing uh, at some point in the future. I think it's an inevitable trend, but the question is how quickly uh, do SMBs adopt uh, this trend? That's the only question that I have in my mind. Well, that's pretty... uh... That's pretty significant, though. I mean, that's a that's a very um, broad expectation. Um, ambitious. That's more like it. An ambitious expectation you're pronouncing there. I would think, in some respects, you know, this is going to have a real impact um, on ISOs and agents. Um, and you, you know, you talk about your your horizon seem to be like a ten year horizon. Maybe if we can scale that back a little bit, where you where do you see this? How do you see this impacting agents and ISOs, say, in the next three years, you know, in terms of, um, you know, available businesses to sell more generalized solutions, you know, the ones that ISOs and agents are most accustomed to selling? I mean, is it going to kind of like totally transition that sales aspect, that sales process? So it's a great question, Pat. I think the reality is it's not going to be this overnight transition. It's not like we're going to wake up in you know, 12 months and all of a sudden there's not an opportunity for an agent or an ISO to go out there and, and sell business. It's really going to be a gradual transition that that happens over a period of time. You know, I, I started uh, my first ISO over a decade ago and people were already predicting the, the death of the ISO when we right. got into the industry. And so the reality is it's a it's a trend that people have been predicting for quite some time. And I think for, for those of us in the industry, like there's still a strong opportunity today. I'm not sitting here and saying you can't go out and, and be successful right. uh, as an agent or an ISO selling door-to-door to small business owners. But what I am saying is that the, the, the landscape is shifting. And so really today, it's more of an opportunity then it really is a threat. I think if you fast forward five years, you're really talking about this being an existential threat uh, for, for agents and ISOs, whereas today it's really an opportunity. Uh, and so the question is, how do agents and ISOs respond to that changing landscape and respond to that opportunity? Because there are so many vertical software companies that are out there. There's not a ton of competition uh, for these businesses. And it's a very high margin opportunity uh, within the, the payment space. And certainly what we're uh, you know, doing here at Tilt is trying to enable agents and ISOs to take advantage 
of this trend that that we're seeing and that we're feeling in the market and to to be able to capitalize on that opportunity over the next few years while a lot of your competitors are not uh, accepting the the reality the and reality. accepting that that right. change uh, that's happening. Well, and I, and I love yeah. this. Yeah, I love this, Caleb, because it this really segues beautifully into the next question I have for you. Because, in my opinion, and you know that you know where I see the setting, I think we we agree there. And and I even see maybe an accelerated timeline where already when I talk to agents, you know, the thing is, well, when I go out in the field, you know, three, four out of ten businesses that I walk into, I just walk out because they already have this integrated verticalized solution, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I can't do it. But I think one of the main things that's allowed the ISO and agent world to continue down this path that they've been on with some success is the fact that software and ISV by and large has been card not present. Yep. It hasn't really been as much card present. It hasn't been that omni-channel. And the truth is our audience disproportionately goes after card present merchants. So mm-hmm. my question to you is a couple, well, a couple things about this, you know, first of all, for those in our audience who don't understand software development and things like that, help us understand why is it that most of the innovation in terms of, you know, verticalized solutions and, and all of that, why is it that most of the innovation has been card not present, or at least um, maybe not most of the innovation is the wrong way to say it, but that's where most the majority of the companies have, have started out, uh, you know, with the card not present. And then, you know, why is it that they've struggled a little bit to go more card present solution? Sure. Uh, if I had to kind of boil it down to, to three things, uh, one, it's easier, <laughs> two, less competition, and three, higher margins. So kind of break down those mm-hmm. three things. So, you know, in terms of it being easier, the, the reality is that har- hardware is hard. <laughs> Distributing hardware is hard, integrating to hardware is hard, certifying right. hardware uh, is hard getting the the EMV uh, certifications alone can be a pretty pretty painful uh, process. And so, you know, when you look uh, from a, a technology and an enablement uh, perspective, the the big giants in the industry, the the Stripes and the Braintrees uh, of the world. Let's let's look at Stripes' motto: expanding the GDP of the internet. They are focused on online transactions right. for e-commerce marketplaces, and typically card not present vertical software companies. And so them being the dominant provider of integrated payment solutions to to software companies, it's natural that these companies have really started uh, with the the card not present uh, side of the the payments. And then, you know, from a competition uh, perspective, the, the reality is there is a lot more competition in the card present ecosystem in terms of the the solutions that are out there and available whereas most of the technology that's available for online processing from the legacy providers is actually not all that sophisticated not all that competitive and so there's really a handful of really great uh, online uh, solutions and that's also opened up an opportunity for for much higher margins in the online uh, payments world where for a small business owner especially if it's only 10 20 30 percent of their volume, they're willing to pay a bit higher price for that integrated solution that's providing them a substantial amount of value within their business. And so these software companies have really prioritized, you know, focusing on the the card not present ecosystem. And and how do you see your partnership with AV that we started off talking about? How is that going to improve the experience for software companies? And how will solutions like this, you know, change the market where it becomes a lot easier for hardware to be kind of integrated, like you mentioned, omni-channel into this kind of ISB world? Sure. So two of the the fundamental technical principles 
uh, here at Tilled, where an API-first uh, solution and a single integration to Tilled gets you access to all of the capabilities uh, that we offer. And for a lot of software companies, historically, if you wanted to, to go bundle in uh, a card presence solution, you were doing an integration into a third party that was providing you access to, to that card presence solution. And so that meant uh, a couple of things. We've seen a lot of software companies that'll partner with, let's say, Stripe for online payments and Card Connect uh, for card present payments. And that means, one, you've got two boarding forms <laughs> that the merchant has to, to fill out. They've got two reporting portals. They've got two reconciliation processes, two customer experiences uh, that, that they have to uh, deal with. And that's a really disjointed experience uh, for the merchant, but it's also... Uh, typically a, a lost margin opportunity for the software platform where you mentioned uh, earlier in the, the conversation where a lot of software companies are focused on the card not present payments and then an agent or an ISO is still providing that card present terminal you know, that's on their desk. And so not only is that a disjointed experience for the merchant, but the, the uh, software company is leaving a lot of money on the table. They're leaving 50, 60, 80% of the payments revenue on the table by allowing you know, that agent to, to provide that terminal. And where I feel like AV comes into the mix here for Tilt is really allowing us to create this unified experience where it's an API first experience for the software company to have one simple integration into Tilt to get access to uh, the various hardware options that, that we have available to create that semi-integrated uh, experience, but it's also a singular boarding flow. Uh, it's it's one portal for reporting. It's one customer service number for them to call. And so it's really creating this unified experience, but also opening up this exciting revenue opportunity for the software company. I, I really like that. I think, you know, I was thinking about it. And, you know, one thing that might add a little context to the conversation is, you know, we're obviously doing some work with Tilled with um, CC Storage, which is our, our an ISV that I own um, for self-storage properties. And uh, we're not accepting refer uh, resellers right now, so I'm not plugging anything. But one thing that's actually <laughs> interesting about it is we talk to a lot of self-storage property owners that use either our software or somebody else's software, and then they have a square device mm -hmm. to take card present transactions that will occur. And so, you know, it's things like that where like a company like ours, even we look at that and say, wow, why are we losing out on this revenue? And then you go and say, okay, well, this is easy. I mean, I know payments backwards and forwards. All I got to do is have my developers put a terminal in there. This should be easy. No, not really. Not at all. <laughs> right now, now you have to certify everything and it gets to be a big mess. Um, and so I think I agree that that's a really significant pain point. And I think that's also going to really change the game because I think a lot of software companies out there right now that, again, no matter what it is, it could be an attorney's office or whatever, where right now it's fully card not present if they were like, wait a minute, we could do one integration with one company and do both the card not present and the card present, you know, that's something that would, uh, that, you know, it would be easy. It wouldn't take them another $100,000 in developer time in order to pull it off and, you know, waiting six months and all that. So, I mean, do you see that as well where you see that maybe, maybe some of these companies that are very innovative that have gone after kind of easier verticals, maybe they're going to start shifting their attention to some of these verticals that are kind of more the heart and soul of our industry because there's this availability now of a single API and you can integrate card present and card not present? So from a from an industry perspective, I think the the reality is there's vertical software companies fo focused on almost every single vertical yeah. Yeah. <laughs> imaginable at this point. But what I do think that you'll see is them penetrating more into the card present ecosystem. And one of the pieces of the the puzzle that we haven't really talked about is just the headache of actually boarding, deploying, and supporting terminals. And yes. for a lot of software companies, they haven't really wanted to get into that card present world because we'll 
How do they order the terminal? Who's going to ship it to them? Who's going to program that terminal? If it breaks at 11 p.m. on a Saturday, uh, who are they going to call you know, to, to support that? And that's one of the, the pieces of the puzzle that we're filling for these vertical software companies by really providing that, that end-to-end uh, you know, solution for, for them. And so I, I think that's been another complexity that has kept vertical software companies out of the hardware environment, just not wanting to deal with the, the practical reality that we all know that have uh, done terminal downloads and done, you know, terminal support uh, over the years. The reality is hardware breaks, um, but we're, you know, filling that role for these software companies to at least take some of that burden off of their plate. Cool. Cool. You know, Caleb, I, I know, you know, probably the, the most obvious way that our audience um, is familiar with Tilde um, is in terms of bringing software companies to you on a referral basis. Mm-hmm. And I know we spoke about that in our last uh, podcast, uh, probably what, about eight, eight or nine months ago. Um, but I was hoping maybe you could explain to me and to our audience how that works and maybe share a success story with us. Sure. Yeah, there, there's definitely been a phenomenal uh, amount of interest, uh, you know, from your your audience and in, in what we're doing uh, at Till, and we're, we're certainly appreciative, uh, you know, of that that interest. In terms of how it works, uh, we work with. I think at this point we've got uh, over 80 uh, ISOs and agents that we work with on a on a referral basis, bringing software uh, partners to to Tilled and. And really the, the job of the referral partners to go out there and source ISVs and vertical software companies that are interested in monetizing their payments. And then they bring Tilled into that conversation at the right point in time. And what I mean by that yeah. is that we're willing to get involved at whatever point in time you feel like is the right point in time to bring us into that sales conversation. And so for a lot of ISOs and agents that are newer to mm-hmm. selling to, to ISVs, we're coming into the first or the second call, you know, right. with that ISV to really help, uh, you know, sell the opportunity and introduce the referral partner and teach them about Tilled and get them used to, to selling to ISVs. Where, whereas we have other ISOs and agents that are very well versed in selling to software companies. And so they may sell the, the ISV, negotiate the pricing and bring us a fully baked deal. But in all yeah. cases, at some point, the Tilled team is getting involved to bring that deal over the finish line to get them approved, to get them integrated and to get them up and running on the platform. And we really see our job as taking those deals and helping convert those deals into a success story. And you know, one of the, the things that, that we really pride ourselves on is our, our close ratio uh, with, with ISVs. So if you bring us a qualified ISV opportunity, one that we believe we can service uh, in an industry that works with, you know, product that makes sense uh, for Tilled, we're closing over 50% of those ISV opportunities. And if you're a, an agent or, or an ISO that, that's out there talking to, to ISVs, that's a, that's a pretty high close ratio <laughs> within the, the ISV, um, you know, ecosystem. And so we're, we're excited about that. In terms of a specific success story uh, that comes to, to mind, uh, a few months ago, we had a referral partner that brought us a music studio uh, software. And within 28 days from the first sales conversation, that ISV was up and running processing transactions uh, on our platform. Wow. And, and that yeah. uh, is by no means the, the standard that every uh, company hits, but it's certainly one that, that stands out in my mind as a, as a story uh, where, you know, referral partner brought us in to a deal, closed the deal, got them up and running in literally less than 30 days to all of us collectively generating revenue uh, from that uh, software uh, company opportunity. 
Uh, you answered my what it was going to be my follow up question because I was wondering about the time sequence there. Twenty eight days is pretty remarkable. Can be very fast. Yeah, can be very fast. Yeah, uh, and we've had a couple others in the last uh, two months that have been under forty five days uh, as well. And so that's not a that's not a fluke uh, that that that's happening. We we really have both the technology and the team uh, and process in place to to really be able to to deliver. Uh, on these opportunities for for our partners, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know we have referral partners bringing us repeat opportunities sure. is that we really uh, know how to close and implement uh, these opportunities to to help drive revenue. Yeah, yeah, good. good. You, know, you know, one follow up to this, Caleb, for those in our audience who maybe aren't fully understanding the model here. So just make sure I, I want to make sure they understand, like when you when you say this, you know, music studio software company got up and running. That doesn't mean that that the reseller, the referral partner got one merchant account with you. Explain a little bit of like, what, what does this mean in terms of like the merchant accounts and kind of the exponential component of this? Sure. So I, I think the, the, the term that, that we use is putting your portfolio on autopilot. <laughs> and so it's the, the idea that once you get that software company implemented, every time they onboard a new merchant onto their platform, that is a new merchant for you <laughs> that is now generating revenue, you know, for you within your, your portfolio. And so that, you know, music studio software adds 20 merchants next month. That's now 20 more merchants that you're monetizing within your portfolio. And you've done nothing. You may not right. have even spoken to any of those merchants <laughs> or that software company during that month. But that's now 20 more merchants, you know, that you're seeing uh, on your portfolio. And I mean, we have software companies that have thousands of merchants <laughs> within their portfolio. And so there really is this like exponentially scalable opportunity within the, the software uh, space that doesn't require you to go door to door and speak to every single merchant uh, to, to get them uh, on board. Yeah, I love it. And, and I think one one last follow-up I had on this is, you know, when you look at this AV partnership and the idea of the Avi channel, are there some specific software companies, like like types of software companies that maybe now would be a really good fit that before you had the AV partnership, it's kind of like, nah, stay away from those. Like, what should the refer referral partners be kind of looking for in terms of types of software companies now with this new partnership? Sure. So, I mean, at this point, it it basically opens up every vertical that most of us that have gone door to door have typically, uh, you know, sold to. And so it opens up the opportunity for you to take the knowledge that you have from going door to door to the industries that you're familiar with, and then go have conversations with software companies that serve, you know, those specific verticals. And so when I think about, you know, key verticals for Tilled, healthcare, nonprofit, gym and fitness management software, field services, retail, uh, restaurant uh, being ones that that really stick out uh, in my mind. But we really have the capacity to, to service almost any low risk uh, vertical uh, now, both card present and card not present transactions with that full omni-channel solution, thanks to the partnership uh, with AV. Love Very it. Cool. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, Caleb, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to learn more about this, want to learn more about the referral program and how they can bring software companies to Tilled. Where would you send them to learn more? So website is always a, a good place to start, www.tilled.com, uh, T-I-L-L-E-D. Uh, my personal LinkedIn is a, is a great place to go. So follow me, Caleb Avery, on LinkedIn. Tilled LinkedIn is a great place as well. If you're ready to, to sign up, you can email us at partners at tilled.com. Uh, and we've got some phenomenal people uh, on our team that, that can get you up to speed and get you out there selling to, to software companies right away. 
Awesome. Love it, Caleb. Uh, yeah, such great insights. Always love having you on the podcast. Thank you for taking time to share your insights with us on kind of the future of integrated payments and how the ISO agent world can benefit as a result. Thanks, James and Patty. Really appreciate the opportunity and thanks for having me back. Uh, thanks for being here. So Patty, you know, our sponsor obviously is NMI.com. And of course, NMI also owns Iris CRM, which mm-hmm. is a very popular CRM and kind of management system for our industry. And I want to talk today about residual payouts. Oh, um, great, great topic. One of the most complicated things that you can do is residual mm-hmm. payouts. And right. the expectation of the of the reseller, of the agent, is very high in this area. Mm-hmm. They want full transparency. They want easy to download reporting. They want right. a full visibility. Like, you know, and it's got to be right. You can't mess up. You know, you mess up an agent's residuals, you got a problem. That agent's going to leave you and go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that Iris does such a great job of is having these direct integrations with all of the major players in the industry, they're able to pull this data in. So they're able to pull the residual data in with all the detail. Uh Then they're able to provide a really fantastic residual reporting and dashboard for the agent. So the agent can not only see, oh, wow, I got X amount of money in my bank account. They can log in and see that detailed transaction level information. Where it came from. Where did I get this money? You know, how is this profit calculated? Mm -hmm. Um, And so- if you're still sending out spreadsheet reporting to your agents um, that you're cobbling together every month and you have a person working on that, take a look at iriscrm.com. It's I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com. Iris CRM, check it out. I think you're really going to like what they have, whether you're an ISO, whether you're a PayFAC, you can pull the data in that you need and then mm-hmm. you can use that data to create fantastic residual reporting for your agents that your agents are going to feel much more comfortable with. And it's going to give you full visibility as well to see who's right. making what, how much they're making, where the profit centers are, mm-hmm. what the, where the costs are, so that you can make sure and negotiate the best rates for yourself as the ISO or the payback as well. So again, that's iriscrm.com. Go check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Uh, so I'm new to the payment processing world and I just signed up with uh, a large payment processing company. And I was wondering, is it better for me being new to kind of follow suit, positioning myself with their brand or kind of more on my own using maybe my own name, company name? Sure. So, sure. And so, just kind of like what gives you a better landscape in the market? Yeah. 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 So I really love this question because I actually think it does kind of depend on which merchants you're going to go after. So what the way I've done it is if I'm going to go after small business owners, so in my local community, I always found it was best to present myself as an independent broker. Right. And so, you know, from that perspective, I would have my own, I always have my own brand, you know, locally. And I would just go out and talk to people. The way I actually positioned myself was as a solutions expert. So I'd say, you know, hey, my name is James Shepard. I'm a small business solutions expert. You know, I have my own local business here in the area. So I would think of it more like um, an insurance broker where I've got different companies. So even though really you might only be representing the one, you're, you're independent agent 1099. So of course you could go to multiple companies. So I personally like doing it that way when I'm going after the small businesses. Um, now where this can shift a little bit is you need to look online 
and actually understand the brand of the company that you're with. So one of the problems in our industry is that because these big companies, a lot of them have all these 1099 agents, their actual brand online is not great because you know, you're going to have some bad apples. And so some agents are going to do some really stupid things or some dishonest things, and that's going to create negative reviews online and, and things like that. And so be your merchant and go on Google, you know, search for the company, go to Google Maps, look at their ratings and see, okay, if you realize, wow, actually this company has a fantastic reputation, you know, five-star reviews everywhere. If my, you know, well, then that would make me pause and, and come back a little bit, right? But again, you got to think about what your pitch is going to be. If you're going to go in there pitching, I'm a small business owner, just like you, you need to have a local brand where you're like a broker. If you want to go in and say, hey, I work with this company, the idea there is it does give that extra stability to it. So when you say you're on your own, it's good because it allows you to connect better with the, the small business owner. But that small business owner also is a little more nervous, like, well, how do I know you're going to be around tomorrow? Right? right so so that's, what you have to, that's what you have to balance. So it's a personal opinion. Me personally, I like the, the personal brand of the, the broker um, approach. But I know a lot of people who use their company if they have a really good reputation. When, when I was selling 13 years ago, no company had a good reputation. Like it was insane. Like seriously, like the best processors would have like, you know, better business bureau complaints and they've gotten a lot better at that, you know, but it was terrible when I started. But um, now one other thing I'll, I'll mention though, if you're going to go after larger merchant accounts, um, multiple location, uh, you know, they do, let, let's say just the overall processing volume is approaching a million dollars a month, whether that's an individual location or multiple locations, but the overall processing volume is a million a month or more. Now it becomes a little different. So I'll tell you, it's funny. When I started, I did the broker thing for a while. When I started going after the really big accounts, then I started using the name of the processing company that I worked with because they're much more concerned about me getting hit by a bus or something. And then they don't have any support. Right. So then I would say like, Hey, my name is James Shepard. Um, I work with large accounts for XYZ processing company. Right. And then when they look that company up, even though maybe they don't have great reviews or whatever, they don't care quite as much about that. You know, when they looked at it, it was like, Oh, wow, this is like a, Fortune 500 company, or this is like a massive company with a thousand employees. And it's like, that's who we want servicing our account because we do a million dollars a month and we can't afford to have anything go wrong. Gotcha. Okay. Um, am I allowed to ask in a, sec a second question? Ask whatever you want. Awesome. Um, with the like positioning, being that I am new, is it better to attack certain verticals versus kind of like spraying all over the place or kind of spray all over the place and see? what verticals come back and then yeah. maybe post. Yeah. So what I always tell people is once you have a, a legitimate reason to go after one particular vertical, go after that one particular vertical. So as an example, some people come into the industry and their background is that they were a restaurant owner and they know a lot of restaurant owners go after restaurants. Right. Um, and right, same right. thing for a lot of different industries. But if you're just coming in general purpose and you're like, ah, I don't, you know, I have a few ideas, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Just get out there, go to a bunch of them and have conversations. And I always tell people too, like when you're first starting in the industry, you know, don't even necessarily go out there day one thinking I'm trying to make a sale, you know, go out there and think I'm trying to have as many conversations as I can and get some information. I like, I, I just had a conversation with a new rep yesterday. That's like brand new, really young guy. And I said, look, like the next two weeks, you're not even going to try to make a sale. You might get one might fall in your lap, but I said, just go out there and just talk to people about their current, he's selling point of sale. And I said, go out there and just talk to people about their solution. You know what I mean? And, and see what, what are your competitors? What are they like? Then I said, let's talk again. And so the key there is 
um, you know, you've got to get data. So you need to understand your market. You need to understand your own, you know, thing, you know, your own strengths and weaknesses. The challenge is that the necessary technology solutions now are becoming more and more verticalized and more and more specific to businesses. So that's really the challenge. Like until you have a specific vertical, you're going to have a bit of a tough time. But I always tell, you know, new agents in the industry, I say, when you're getting out there, there's nothing at all wrong with getting your foot in the door with a standalone terminal, with selling, you know, dual pricing, which I know which processor you're with and they have their dual pricing program. So, you know, right. you could sell a dual pricing with a standard terminal, even if they have a, a point of sale system. You could say, I'd love to integrate with that at some point down the road, but to get started, let's put a terminal next to this thing. So at least we can eliminate your processing fees. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're aware that that is not a future proof account. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to lose it in the next three years. So you need to be constantly talking to them, staying in, you know, staying in, in, you know, monthly, every other month type communication with them, making sure they're happy. And then making sure that within six months, as you start to figure out the industry a little bit better, you know, the technology better, make sure you're going back to them and saying, Hey, whether you're ready to upgrade now or not, I just want to make you aware that I'm your guy when it comes to the, the technology solutions as well. Okay. So if you see some Facebook ad or you see some, somebody calls you and says, Hey, we've got this free point of sale system that tracks inventory or that does payroll or whatever, just understand I have that as well. I would be happy to talk to you about that now if you'd like. I just want to make sure you're aware of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Protect yeah. yourself from that attrition. Because I have noticed more of the software style companies that are specialized in those verticals in certain segments seem to be pretty prevalent in the town that I'm in. So yes, that's kind and, of why I asked that, is it? Yeah. And you know what? That's, that also is a, is a big part into um, which vertical you end up choosing to focus on. And again, I, I say this all the time, but it's like, I don't mean the only thing you're going to do is sell to this one vertical, right? I just mean that's where your focus is going to be. You're still going to get referrals. You're still going to do networking. You're still going to do prospecting where you may go to a lot of different businesses. But I like spending, you know, I tell new agents, especially within six months, you should be spending two hours a day on one vertical, right? And getting better and better at that. But then you still have another six hours that you're, you know, doing other things, right? Right. Um, but, and then, and then what'll happen is you'll probably, either you'll end up going from two hours a day to, to eight hours a day on one vertical over the course of two years, or you'll find two other verticals that you're going to spend two hours a day on and then have a couple hours to do whatever you need done. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, but yeah, I, I would say um, if you, you look at your town as you get out and start to know people, yeah, you might notice that like all the pizza shops in the area seem to have this one point of sale system, you know, well, are you, you need to look into that. I mean, are you really ready to compete with them? And if not, I wouldn't go after that vertical. I'd look for a different one. You know, maybe you go to the auto repair shops and you're like, hey, you know what? The auto repair shops all seem to still have these standalone terminals, right? Now that tells you that they're probably not going to be willing to pay for a point of sale. But maybe if you can work out some kind of a rental deal or something where you could put a nice point of sale in there that has the features they need. So that's the idea. You got to like evaluate, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Um, what's the market like and where's the available kind of space? And then what kind of programs and solutions does your processor offer that would be a good fit for a particular vertical? So kind of like once all that comes together, you know, then you're like, okay, cool. I got it. I know, I know what I'm going to go after. Okay. And does size matter when you're starting out to go after whomever at this point? Um, I, I try even to... know maybe some of them aren't going to be very profitable in, in right. the beginning. You know? Yeah. You, you really initially care mostly about stick count. You know, you just want to get deals. Right. And so um, as a result of that, I try to steer clear of really big businesses initially, just because I kind of want to get my feet wet. I want to understand how the process works. And it's just a lot easier to, to do that on smaller accounts. 
Um, now, having said that, I don't think you want to go to your local flea market or uh, farm, you know what I mean? Like farmer's yeah. market or something. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the 500 a month merchant, right? But you're, you're talking about, you know, when you're walking down the street, go to every business except the ones that are professional services, you know, attorneys, accountants, financial planners, um, and the ones that are obviously massive franchise corporate type businesses. So just your run of the mill, normal business, go to all of them. And once you've, once you've talked to a hundred business owners, which shouldn't take that long, once you've had a conversation with a hundred business owners, at that point, you should be able to step back and say, okay, where's the opportunity in my market? Right. And then you, and then you still, again, you keep prospecting everybody, but you say, okay, I'm going to take an hour or two every day to start really thinking about how can I go after this vertical, get industry publications and read them about that vertical. Right. Okay. Get to know everybody in the area. Look and see if there's associations you can join. Um, find books, how to how to successfully run a hair salon. You know what I mean? How to start a pet grooming business. You know, what like become like the merchant where you're just like soaking up all the information, understanding it. Then look at all the solutions that are out there. What are the features they offer? What's popular? What's not? Look at YouTube videos about it. You know, so you just kind of you spend some time digging into it. So you become like a real expert there. Then what you do is, and this is interesting because it actually goes back to the branding thing. So when I started going after pizza shops, that was my vertical. I was like all about the pizza shops and I sold everybody, but I, I had hundreds and hundreds of pizza shops. Um, and when I started doing that, I actually made new cards for myself, new trifold brochures and everything that I was the pizza shop payments expert. Now that wouldn't work as well today. Today it would be more pizza shop solutions expert something like that. But, you know, you could even come up with a really good brand name for that, you know, whatever pizza payments or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, you want to really brand yourself. See, so you almost these two different brands, you kind of have either your broker or your processor brand that you use generally, but then you have this other brand that's your personal brand as it relates to this vertical you're going to go after um, with brochures and everything to really position yourself. Because the, you know, I always talk about going after specific verticals and I think people maybe don't even understand why it's so valuable or so much better one of the reasons is that it's so much easier to prospect. You know exactly who you're looking for. And when you walk in and, and give them your card and your brochure and it says, you know, I deal with pizza shops. They're like, oh my goodness, this is an expert on pizza shops. I need to talk to this person. Versus I'm a payments expert. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. So it makes the prospecting a little easier as well. Okay. All right, cool. And then I guess with the prospecting, the first way you introduce yourself, do you even mention payment processing or you guys just kind of say small business? Well, well, it depends. General. Depends on what I'm trying to sell. Okay. Uh, if I'm selling dual pricing, I actually do lead off with that. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me saying that, but that I still do lead off with that. Maybe that's just me being, you know, uh, uh, a dinosaur in the industry or whatever, but I still do lead off with it when it's dual pricing. And the reason is because I have such a cool line for it that always works really well for me. So what I do now when I go into business is if I'm selling dual pricing, I say, hey, um, you know, uh, we talk a little bit, small talk, how long has your business been here? You know, that sort of thing. And then I'll say, Real quick, here's let me tell you why I stopped by today. So have you ever been to a gas station that had a cash price and a card price? And they're like, yeah. And I say, why do you think they do that? Well, because they don't, they don't pay the credit card fees. Exactly. So what I do is, not only do I have a lot of technology solutions, but in my technology solutions, I have built in that concept where I'm able to bring that to your business and many other business types, where I'm able to help you implement a cash and a card price. We take that tiny little bit of extra revenue between the cash and the card price that comes to us. And we use that to offset the cost of payment processing. So you don't have to pay credit card processing fees anymore and you get great technology to integrate with it. That, that's my opening spiel. Now, if I'm not selling dual pricing, 
um, and I'm going to a business and, you know, for whatever reason, I found that that particular vertical just doesn't, they don't like dual pricing right off the bat. Um, okay. I'm certainly not going to say, I'm here to save you money on payment processing. No, they're going to kick me out. So instead, I'm going to start with solutions and say, okay. and, and usually with solutions, I don't start off with a pitch. I start off with questions. You know, how do you like your current system? What's, what kind of system is that anyway? When did you guys get that? Have you had it a long time? Okay, now what does it do? And then I'll add, and then because I know the vertical ask questions, you know, if it's a hair salon, I'll say, now, can your, can your customers, you know, go online and schedule their own appointment? No. Oh, wow. I know that's something you've probably been thinking about. It's like, yeah, we have. Okay. So I ask questions to, if I'm doing the tech pitch. Okay. I think that was kind of the broad, broad of my, my questions there. So cool, I appreciate man. your time and awesome. thank you so much. My pleasure, man. We'll hope you have a great day and uh, yeah, reach out anytime. Very good. Thank you so much, James. Have a good day. Thanks, Jason. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So last week, we, we talked about the new MCC code for gun shops. Uh-huh. Uh, this week, I'm going to report on some of the blowback. Okay. Um, you know, as background, uh, in case anybody missed last week or missed this in other news outlets, the global standard setting body, ISO, decided to create a uh, new merchant category code for gun and ammo stores. Um, until now, you know, at, at present at least, uh, these shops are categorized as durable goods or um, specialty retailers. But Republican members of Congress and uh, a couple, and the Republican attorneys general of 23 states are warning the card brands not to move forward on implementing this new MCC. They're asserting the plan could lead to the misuse of consumer data and would do little to protect the public. The attorneys general of Tennessee and Montana told the Wall Street Journal that they would launch investigations into the card brands if they moved ahead with the plan. And a letter sent by 11 Republican senators to the card brands threatened a legislative remedy if they um, do what the senators described as an end run around the Second Amendment. Now, um, you know, looking at this, there appears to be some misunderstanding in my mind about MCC codes on both sides of the debate. Um, you know, the attorneys general in, of New York and California, who are both Democrats, have said the card companies uh, should begin tracking gun sales and flagging suspicious purchases um, to law enforcement. So Visa, to its credit, uh, addressed this controversy in a, in a blog post um, late last week. It said, quote, MCCs do not give Visa or any payment network visibility into product level data, you know, SKU data. Um, when we process a transaction, we have no visibility into what items a consumer is purchasing. This is true irrespective of the MCC that's applied to the merchant. And banks can't deny legal transactions based on MCC visa reminded everybody. The blog post continued, quote, a fundamental principle for visa is protecting all legal commerce through our network and around the world and upholding the privacy of cardholders who choose to use Visa. This has always been our commitment and will not change with ISO's decision. 
MasterCard issued a similar statement adding, um, quote, if we identify unauthorized blocking or intentional restrictions of legal commerce, we will take stiff action. So I don't think we've heard the uh, last of this debate, James. So, you know, it's something worth staying tuned to. I, I have to admit, I didn't expect this. I expected some balking. I did not expect threats of legislative and legal action, but- Really? <laughs> legislative, I mean, yes. Legislative, yes. But, uh, but legal action? I mean, I mean, think about it. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I think that are, that are interesting. I mean, first of all, I, I think there are maybe three or four uh, topics in America that are as divisive as gun control. True. Um, and so True. from a political perspective, obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of upheaval on anything along those lines. And secondly, I do think that there are potentially troubling implications to the American public that would look at this and say, why is there, and, you know, I think Visa did a great job of addressing it, but kind of why is there even a conversation around what Visa and MasterCard, who are privately held companies, should and should not do with the data that they get from my transaction? I agree. I, I totally that, agree right, with that. The fact that I go into a gun store and buy a gun with my Visa card, I am not in any way empowering Visa, a privately held company, to take any sort of legal action to notify law enforcement or whatever. And so I think, I think right. the key, you know, and, and I think the other thing And is, I think Visa addressed that in its, in, it its, in its blog post, you know, because, yes, I mean, look at it this way. And I agree, you're, it's a highly controversial area, but it's not like, I mean, we have MCC codes for liquor stores and right. there's a lot of people who are opposed to liquor stores, right? You know, sure. CBD sellers, you know, they get locked, you know, lumped in with 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 cannabis sales and, you know, mm -hmm. aren't aren't even allowed. Um, you know, um, it, it just strikes me that people are looking at this as a more um, intrusive thing than it really is, because all you're doing is you're coding the merchant. You're not necessarily doing anything with right. the transactions. And I think in the payments industry, I think we understand that. But I think the broader context would be that. I don't think there's any serious debate in the country right now about limiting alcohol sales to people who are of age to purchase it. I don't think there's any, you know, as far as CBD and, and cannabis, I think the broader American public right now kind of looks at that as like, well, it's wild, wild west, whatever happens, happens, and we get it. But I think whereas gun sales is this issue that's fully baked, it's fully, you know, it's out there and you got half the country that's for gun control, half the country that's against it. And so I think any implication that data may now or ever be used in any manner or fashion that would limit the sale of gun based on which card I'm using at a particular merchant location is cause for the American public that really cares about this issue to be really concerned about it. And again, most of that comes from a lack of understanding, I think both in the consumer right. level and in the law enforcement or, and the, I mean, in um, you know, the Congress and Senate, but I think that's more of a knee jerk reaction of, um, you know, congressional uh, Republicans and, and Republican governors, you know, a big part of the platform of how they got elected was to say, we're going to protect the Second Amendment, which is understandable. And so I think it is an election year. It's an so, election year. And I think Visa, again, did a fantastic job of reassuring the American public. Because again, you got to think also about the card, uh, the cardholder side of this too, where Visa is not only concerned about, you know, you know imagine, you know, with, with all the news around this new MCC code, is someone more or less likely to use their Visa card tomorrow when they go to purchase a firearm? I don't think so. Oh, I absolutely guarantee you. I mean, the, the the people, I live in central Pennsylvania and I can assure you that there are, you know, many people, if they just saw a headline that says, Visa implementing new MCC code to track gun sales, 
that's it. Nobody's going to use their Visa card in this area to buy a gun because they're afraid they're being tracked. You know what I mean? And so, so again, there's a misunderstanding around it, but I think Visa is doing a good job of trying to calm those concerns and say, look, like, that's not what this is. This right. is a... And I, yeah, and I think right. so. Right. Just the, the, but just as I was thinking, out. something I was thinking of when I was writing about this, and it's a little bit off, off the wall, but let me just throw it out there anyway. Sure. Um, you know, because I talk about legal owners of guns, right? Sure. Okay. In the state of Maryland, I am legally entitled to buy cannabis. Right. And the state of Maryland has a record of every single purchase I have ever made. Sure. You know, that's intrusive. <laughs> you know? I agree. Uh, but, yeah. but the, you know, the fact that somebody knows you go to a gun store is a lot different than somebody who knows precisely what you're buying. Sure. And that, and maintains a database of that. Sure. And, and again, that will only happen legislatively, obviously. Oh, you know I mean? obviously. Or, right. Obviously. And, and which I think we're quite a ways off from that. So I agree with you, meaning I don't think there's any real cause for concern. It's an MCC right. code. We have lots right. of them, but I also can understand kind of the concern of, you know, the, the politicians whose entire platform, you know, a big part of it is based on protecting second amendment rights and saying this seems to be, you know, in other words, I guess the real question is why do we need this extra MCC code? And I think the problem here is I don't think where, where I think visa and these other institutions that have really poor job was communicating the answer to that question. Agreed. They left it very much open. What they should have said was firearms stores have unique needs as it relates to payments. They mm -hmm. have a unique risk profile. Mm -hmm. And as banks that are processing transactions, we need to know who we're doing business with. Mm -hmm. So we've implemented this new code, but that's not what they said. No. And, and, they, you know, the, the truth is, is that banks and their, and their companies are really bad at communicating with the public. They are. And you I think know? if they would have said that, but instead they kind of left this void of like, we're doing this new thing that has to do with gun sales. Yeah. You're right. Let's let no, everyone right. let's let everyone say what they think it means. And as a mm -hmm. result, every all the media said, "Oh, we're tracking gun sales now. It's, we're going to we're going to use that to limit it." And then you have the the left coming out and saying, "Well, that's great. Visa needs to start taking action to flag transactions that right. are and then you have right. the right coming out and saying, "Oh my goodness, that's terrible. We're going down that road." And it's like, "Oh my goodness, like yeah. this is an MCC code that's used to identify a business type for a risk profile. This has nothing to do with SKU level data. That has to go through legislation." So it's um, sort of like, yeah. you know, much ado about nothing, but it's still, it made for great headlines for the yeah, Wall Street Journal and places yes. like that. And yep. it, it gave a, it gave some lawmakers something to uh, look good for in an election year. Yeah, absolutely. So as usual, uh, both sides of the aisle took advantage from their perspective and were mm -hmm. able to make hay out of something. And uh, in this case, there's really not much hay to be made, but they made it anyway. So Amazing well, how you can make hay out of little. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.